Chapter 39 of Hero Tales from History. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marilyn Rakes. Hero Tales from History by Smith Burnham. Daniel Boone, the great Indian fighter of Kentucky. Of all the great American hunters, trappers, and Indian fighters, Daniel Boone was the leader. He was born in Pennsylvania, but while still a boy he moved with his parents to North Carolina. Besides learning to do farm work and help his father at the loom and the forge, the Boone boy found time for trapping, hunting, and learning the arts of a woodsman. Father Boone, though of Quaker descent, encouraged the son to go hunting and to learn the woodcraft of the Indians. When the lad was twelve, his heart was delighted by the gift of a light rifle from his sensible father. Of course, Daniel did not have much chance to go to school, but he acquired mathematics enough to fit him for the business of backwoods life and to make him a fair land surveyor. But he never had the gift of spelling. For many years a giant beech tree was pointed out where he had had a bear fight. It was a kind of monument to Daniel's poor spelling. In the bark, high on its trunk, he had cut these crooked letters. D. Boone killed the bar on this tree in the year 1760. Yet, although he did not spell even his own name correctly, Daniel Boone was one of the best educated of all the pioneers, for he had just the kind of knowledge that this country needed most at that time. When Daniel was twenty-one, a call came to North Carolina for men to help the soldiers of General Braddock, who had been sent by the King of England to fight the French and Indians. The English wished to keep control of the country north and south of the Ohio River. Young Boone volunteered and was in the Battle of Fort Duquesne, when Braddock was defeated and killed and when young Major George Washington led the colonial troops, who fought Indian fashion and saved a small part of Braddock's army from being killed and scalped. This fight proved a turning point in the life of the North Carolina soldier, for he met in the ranks a scout named John Finley, who had been on a hunting trip in the wild country south of the Ohio. Finley drew a picture of this wild region that warmed the heart of Daniel Boone. One of the chief beauties there for the born hunter was that the Indians did not inhabit the country. They only went back and forth across it, so that they did not kill or scare away the game. Daniel went home to North Carolina and married a beautiful girl of seventeen, and they kept house in a cabin the young husband had built with his own hands. He lived there several years with his wife and little boy near his father's family, but he was restless going on hunting trips farther and farther from home, until he had followed the game over the mountains into the regions of the Tennessee River. The friend of the French and Indian War, John Finley, came to visit the Boones one fall, and they made him stay all that winter. The call of the wild was too strong to let Boone stay at home long after that. In the spring, he and Finley, with four other men, on six horses, with bedding and a small cooking outfit on six pack horses, started off early one bright morning on their wonderful shooting and trapping trip. They were armed with hunting knives, tomahawks, and their trusty rifles. 
When they had crossed the mountains, they hunted the bear, buffalo, elk, and deer, and trapped little fur animals with such success that they soon had quite a fortune in furs. As they prepared to start east with these, a band of Indians appeared on the scene, broke up their little camp, and captured everything they had. The savages spared the white men's lives, but they made signs that they would kill them all if they found them there again, and they took Boone and another man prisoner. The rest of the party, badly frightened, took up their weary march for home, empty-handed. Boone and his companion, when they escaped, only went far enough to make the Indians think they were also afraid. Then they came back and hunted alone in all that wild region. After long, lonely months, Boone's brother came and brought gunpowder and supplies, and the Boones hunted and trapped there two years longer. They started home with a rich store of furs, but some Indians came along and robbed them again. The red men afterward killed the brother, but Daniel, after hairbreadth escapes, reached North Carolina safe and sound, but poorer than when he went away. Still, Daniel Boone was rich in wood lore and Indian craft. He gave such attractive accounts of the beautiful country and the chances to get rich quickly that quite a number of heroic people were persuaded to go back with him and settle in the land. He started over the mountains again with ten in his own family, besides neighbors and friends. No one could have followed the way but a cunning scout like Daniel Boone, to whom every leaf, every sound, every mark in the earth had its own secret message. During the journey, the party were attacked by Indians, and Boone's eldest son, a lad of seventeen, was killed. This experience discouraged the others, and they tried to induce their leader to go back with them. He sturdily refused, saying, There are nearly a hundred of us. We can beat the Indians yet. Nevertheless, it seemed wiser to wait a while before pushing on across the mountains, so they went back a little way and settled for a year or two on a little mountain river. By this time, many people in the Carolinas and Virginia had heard about the promised land of Daniel Boone. He was engaged to mark the way or blaze the trail through to Kentucky. This trail was afterwards traveled so much that it was called the Wilderness Road. Taking thirty men with him, Boone once more set out on the way to settle Kentucky. They came to a halt in the heart of that country and built a stockade on the Kentucky River. This enclosure, a little longer than a square, with a fort at each of the four corners and eight smaller cabins in the space inside, was surrounded by a high fence of sharpened logs standing upright. To this strong stockade the rest of the party gave the name of Boonesboro, in honor of the Kentucky pioneer. Later, Boone returned for his family and brought them to their new home. Many and exciting were the adventures of the settlers. One afternoon, two girls went out canoeing on the river with the daughter of Daniel Boone. When the three girls had passed a bend in the river and were too far away for their shrieks to be heard at the fort, a fierce-looking Indian sprang out from the bushes on the farther bank and pulled in their canoe. Other savages stifled the girls' cries and plunged with them into the darkening forest. Before long, the absent ones were missed and the alarm was given. The empty canoe was found, and a search party was formed, led by the fathers of the missing girls. The hunt lasted two days and two nights. On the morning of the third day, the anxious father saw smoke rising from an Indian camp. As the camp was over fifty miles from Boonesboro, the savages had become careless. 
Boone and two other men crept up near the camp and shot the two Indians guarding their three white captives. The other red men jumped and ran for the woods. The happy fathers and their friends returned to their anxious families at Boonesboro with the daughters unhurt. While Washington and his little armies were waging the war for independence along the eastern coast, Daniel Boone and his pioneers were fighting just as bravely for their country. Though they did not realize it then, the backwoods territory formed by far the greater part of the future United States. Boone was the leader who remained on guard while others did the things which are often described in the history of the country. He helped the pioneers with his advice and defended the families of the men who went out and fought in the historic battles. One reason why the Indians feared and revered this white chief was that Daniel Boone, as if by magic, had often escaped death at their hands. But once his good fortune seemed to fail him. Near Boonesboro was a salt lick or a spring of salt water, where salt was left spread around the spring like frost or a white powder on the ground. Deer, buffalo, and other animals often came there to lick up the salt, and pioneers often hid nearby and shot them. Boone and thirty men had come from the fort to gather a supply of salt to have on hand in case they should be attacked by Indians. Boone and his men were surrounded and captured, and as this was during the War for Independence, they were taken to Detroit to be dealt with by the British Governor Hamilton. On the way through deep snows and zebra weather, they were all in danger of starving. At a solemn council, some of the Indians proposed to get rid of their prisoners by torturing and burning them to death. There were one hundred and twenty of the savages, and the vote stood fifty-nine for the killing to sixty-one against. There was no doubt that the Indians' regard for Daniel Boone saved the lives of all those white men. Though this seemed to have been done by a single vote, it was a strange thing that sixty-one hostile savages were willing to keep alive and feed their prisoners at the risk of starving themselves. At Detroit, Hamilton offered the Indians five hundred dollars if they would let Daniel Boone go free, as he wanted to use him as a British scout. The savages refused and took him to their cheap village in the Ohio country. Boone knew their language, but he pretended not to understand a word they said among themselves. He seemed to be very fond of their mode of life and acted pleased when they told him they were going to make him a chief. He won their goodwill by not wincing when they tortured him to see if he could prove himself worthy of that great honor. The white chief was the best marksman in all the tribe. When they let him go off hunting by himself, they counted the bullets and measured the gunpowder they gave him. But he cut the bullets in two and used very small charges of powder, thus saving nearly half to use when he should find a chance to escape. Hearing the others talking of an attack they were going to make on Boonesboro, he slipped away one morning while out hunting, when he would not be missed till night. Not daring to shoot game for food, nor wishing to waste time to dress and cook it, he was nearly starved when he reached the Kentucky Fort, after going 160 miles through a region full of hostile tribes. The Indians must have wasted many days searching for him, as it was six weeks before his adopted tribe and other savages arrived at Boonesboro. Daniel Boone held the fort for ten days, with fifty white men and boys and twenty-five women and children, against four hundred and fifty red men. Several times the Indians set fire to the fort, but the brave white men put out the fire at great risk to their lives. The Indians tried to tunnel under the log fence, but the cunning white chief met and beat them back at every point. 
At last the savages gave up the fight and slunk away. Now that so many settlers had moved to Kentucky, the old hero found that country too crowded to suit him, so he and his family moved to a wilder region on the Missouri River to find elbow room, he said. After hundreds of thrilling adventures and narrow escapes, the Indian hunter died in bed with his wife and three children around him. A friend who was near him in his latter days said of Daniel Boone, Never was old age more green, nor gray hairs more graceful. End of chapter 39